Hi there and welcome to Wednesday Weekly Wisdom, my new podcast based on my very popular Instagram series where I get to interview guests from all walks of life where they share their stories of success. We talk about everything and anything. I'm so excited that you are listening. Follow me on Spotify and follow me on Instagram at official Ayushokala. See you there. Hi there and welcome back to Wednesday Weekly Wisdoms with me and today I have the most incredible guest joining us. I have Victoria Corin Mitchell. I'm so excited for this conversation. As many of you already know, Victoria is a household name. She presents BBC Two's highest rated show, Only Connect, as well as hosting Radio 4's comedy series, Women Talking About Cars and Radio 4 Hearsay, which she also produces. I am so excited because Victoria also is an international poker player, which is a highly male-dominated area, and I can't wait to hear how she's navigated this and had the most incredible career. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. And even just posting about your joining me, everyone was like, oh my God, Victoria is amazing. Like, you're <laughs> such an institution of like British television. But I only, when I was doing my homework, realised just how early on in your career you started writing and sharing your thoughts is it true that you were inspired by Joan March from Little Women to apply for a writing um competition at the age of 14 is that how you got started is that right yeah I mean that was quite late on 14 (laughs) I was a kind of obsessive at school I used to make little magazines and sell them I don't know why anyone bought them but I used to write little what I thought were satirical pamphlets about the teachers and the school and news and that kind of thing and sell those at the gate. Um, So by the time I was 14 and trying to sell short stories to magazines, I considered myself quite the old pro. I love that. So you'd actually started off, wait, what if I school? What if it made you think I'm going to start writing magazines at school? Because you say you're obsessive and studying your career, it's so eclectic and you very much seem like a, just into so many different things. Like where did it all stem from? Like what is the heart of like Victoria before all the cool things that you've achieved? Well, my father was a writer. So it, it seemed like the kind of thing one would be. I mean, people often say, oh, do, you know, you know, they use this term nepo baby now, or, or oh, nepo, yes. I use it. And people sort of, because it's a different world now. Now, mm. if you've got, you know, parents in entertainment, you know, they can choose to sort of tweet about you and put your stuff on Instagram. And mm. I don't understand how that all works, but you see that, don't you? People in reality TV, their children are all part of the package. To be brothers, oh, you know, your father was a writer and he went on TV sometimes. He wasn't super famous, but he did that stuff. Oh, did he organise that all for you? And I have to explain, oh, no. I mean, it wasn't like that at all. He went to work. We didn't meet the people he worked with. We didn't have anything to do with his working life. But it does give you the idea that it's possible. You know, mm. for people who are growing up miles from London and their parents are, you know, whatever it happens to be, they're greengrocers or they're dentists or whatever, yeah. It must seem impossible. How would you get there? How do you get to the point? Whereas in our house, the idea that you might sell your own writing for money was quite normal. You know, my father yeah. did that. My mother was a doctor, so she got up very early in the morning and went off for a long, grueling day and came mm. back you know, sometimes with blood on her. <laughs> Dad <laughs> would sort of go off to work at sort of nine or ten and come back whistling, sometimes slightly drunk, having mostly played cricket using a rolled up magazine as a bat 
So it, it seemed like that's the kind of thing one might want to do for a living. I mean, if you're looking at those, you'd be like, that one looks a bit more fun. I like the look of that. <laughs> it's more fun. I mean, I don't know if I'd have wanted to be a writer otherwise. I feel like I would. I always read lots of books. I always wanted mm. to write. As you say, in Little Women, Jo March is somebody who does this. She sells stories. She posts off her stories. Yeah. And if anyone will buy them. And that always struck me as a very romantic idea. How much that's to do with my father, obviously I can't know because I can't have another yeah. version with a different one yeah. but it certainly it seemed possible that's actually a really interesting thing that we don't talk about like we, we talk very much today about representation and why representation matters but actually what you're talking about is that just seeing it made it a thing that was in your head in one of the things that you could action so as a young person even before 14 like the idea of writing selling it just becomes normalized it's, it's like almost expanding your horizons by just someone else in your world doing these things that's exactly why why representation matters that is exactly the point of it if you don't see anyone in your world or a bit like you doing the thing you want to do it's not to say it's impossible obviously people have always broken through being the first you know of their whatever it is gender hometown school ethnic group whatever is the thing people have always broken Mm. through much much harder whereas if you see people like you doing things you know, it's, it's much more easy to give it a try. Well, that's sort of fantastic start to giving it a try because, like, you know, being a teenager, applying for that, starting... Did you write for the Telegraph for four years as a teenager? I still can't believe that. It's just incredible yeah, that, to me. You see, that was later again. So at 14, I um, sold a short story to a magazine. You know, there were, um, you know, young people's magazines. It's hard to imagine it. 17, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just 17 and it was, you know, mostly pictures of pop stars and problem pages and whatever you get yeah. in magazine, but they did have short stories as well. And um, yes, and I and I managed to sell them a couple of short stories. The, the Telegraph was about, I can't remember, two or three years later, they advertised, they had a competition, they had a new weekend section mm. and they decided they wanted a teenage columnist and they advertised a competition, you know, you could send your stuff in to try and win this competition to be a teenage columnist, which I did. I wrote them, I think I wrote them a column about having never really gone to the countryside. You know, we we lived in London and I wrote this thing about the countryside are meant to be this idyll, but I don't understand it. Yeah. You know, if I ever go there, I have to put on my Sony Walkman to drown out the bird song. You're probably too young for this. Sony oh, I do know a Sony Walkman. I, 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 I tried to search up to actually find your article. It was like the terrors of the countryside for an urban child, and I really wanted to read the whole thing, but I couldn't find it anywhere on the internet anymore. No, well, it probably never was. But this, but they, the idea, I think, you know, I won this competition. I had this competition. The thing is, I think the idea of it was they wanted a teenager to tell all their grown-up readers what teenage life was like. So they wanted mm. someone who'd blow the whistle on you know, whatever it was, sex and drugs and parties and drink and what everyone was up to. And obviously that's a bit of a paradox because the kind of teenager that's having a lot of sex and drugs and parties is not also writing a column for the Daily Telegraph. <laughs> you know, I, kind of, I was a bit of a square. I filed my column every week, you know, on time and the right length, but I really couldn't tell them much about what their saucy children were up to. I love that. But like that's something really interesting about you because I love the fact that you, I feel like you're a bit like me that's why I reached out like you're 
a lateral thinker, you're quirky, you're cool, and you've made kind of being like, kind of really, really smart, kind of really cool. And you see that, like, you become a professional poker player. Like, you, is it true that you're the only one to have won a European title twice? Like, that's incredible to me. But where did you go from, first of all, what I can see is like, kind of a journalistic background to like this whole amazing career in poker where you won like millions of pounds. What, what was the thread there? That just seems like 360. Well, that was, I think, by the time I was in my late teens, so I had this life writing this column and everything, but I didn't really know any boys. I went to an all-girls school. Ah. I was not hugely socially. I mean, I say it's kind of you to say that I'm cool. I certainly don't identify as cool. You're that is cool, very though. Everyone on the internet thinks you're cool. I saw so many stuff about being like Victoria's every guy's crush. Like you're like the smart crush. Like you have your own following on Reddit. <laughs> I mean, I I can't really imagine that's true, but thank you. But I, it, lying, I promise. But I was never, you know, socially, I really wasn't brilliant. I never knew the right thing to say, and I was bad at making friends at school. And I certainly didn't know about flirting or you know whatever it is. Those sort of interactions terrible. And my brother used to play poker. He's older mm. than me, but but with and obviously that was a very boyish thing. And I thought initially. Well, if I learn to play poker, I'll get to hang out with boys. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with them, but I just, I liked them and I didn't really know any or how to speak to them. And the great thing about poker, I mean, poker is a very inclusive world. I mean, it's very hard to know what language to use, but there is a certain sort of person in which I include myself. Many are only connect contestants and many of them play poker who perhaps cope less well with the ordinary day-to-day -day social interactions and are much more comfortable if if something else is going on you know mm. and, and people like us I would say can get a little bit obsessive about things like puzzles and crosswords and riddles mm. and things because it's quite soothing for the brain you're sort of focused on one thing mm. and any sort of socializing or conversation could go to happen around <laughs> it you can be quite yeah. so so I thought, well, this is, this is very much for me. I mean, these poker games, you could sit in them and not say anything if you didn't want, just play cards, but sort of be near, you know, other people and uh, boys and so on. So I started for that reason. I thought, well, this will be my way of getting to know some boys and actually just got absolutely bitten by the bug of the game. And within a few weeks had figured out, you know, 18-year-old boys aren't, yeah, no, they're not all that interesting, but, but the game was great. That's amazing. So... I wouldn't have thought that, and I've not been able to find that anywhere on the internet. Actually, your love of poker came from <laughs> trying to find time to spend with boys. I love that. I love that. I think most teenagers can relate to that, especially if you've had a, an all-girls school education at any one point. You Actually, weirdly, I wrote, years ago, I wrote a sort of memoir about my life in poker and how I got into poker, which I've just recorded as an audiobook. I don't really know why now. I mean, I, I wrote the book sort of um, well, 10 years ago, but I've just recorded it. And I I think at the time there wasn't Audible or something. It's been quite strange for me because I haven't thought about it for years either. So I've just been in a recording studio for four or five days. Yeah. Reading out the story of how I got into poker. And I, you know, I'd forgotten half of it myself. And it's it's a bit of a lost world now because poker itself got, I don't know about cool, but certainly mainstream. Yeah. When I started playing, it was very niche. It was a handful of people, you know, I mean, there were probably no more than 100 people that played serious poker and would travel and try and win money. And so now 
you know, in this country. And then it just went huge because of the internet. It yeah. became a huge mass activity. I think probably the person I was at 15, 16, probably wouldn't start playing poker now. Do you think so? Probably, well, no, it would seem... Because it would seem too brightly lit and mainstream and I think it would have been frightened to. Whereas when I started, it was such a community of people who were looking for the shadows in a way. Not my brother's friends, they played, you know, just for socially. But getting into the way casinos were and private games, it all happened yeah. kind of after dark and it was kind of passwords and ways to get... <laughs> It was just all a bit societies. People who were there because they didn't have anywhere else to be. And that's what I found I could relate to. Mm. And it doesn't exist so much anymore. Yeah, I guess it's changed. As most things change. And I know that you took a step back when they started having kind of the online poker and the gambling. Yet, even though like this is like a world that you've absolutely mastered, you like the top of your craft, but you took a step back. So I'm guessing that's that same rationale for you, right? Well, no, that was a different thing. See, that was sponsorship. So, because I played for years and I got quite good at poker and started winning money and so on. Good European poker tour winner twice round, quite good, humble. It was good, and I so and I had a, a sponsorship, you know, like professional footballers or anything else. You, know, you wear the company's name on your shirt and yeah, and all of that. And I had that with a one of the big poker companies, which I loved. But then they I mean it must be eight or nine years ago now they launched an online casino that was much more specifically about I wasn't comfortable taking money to endorse that which is not to say that I don't gamble I do I love a casino I have a healthy well not healthy healthy or unhealthy depending how you look at it streak of gambling addiction in me there is a bit of that in poker you know to play a strong poker game you have to be ready to embrace risk mm. yeah. and privately on my own time I have had phases where I, you know, gamble very unwisely on table games. But broadly, casino games are extremely unwise. The house has a mm. huge edge. You can't win in the long run. It's very mm. addictive. And it's ruined people's lives. So it's it's like I, I'm a sort of inverse hypocrite. I'll do it and enjoy it. Yeah. But I absolutely won't take money to recommend it to other people. So I, I felt... Uh -huh. Even though they didn't want me to endorse specifically the gambling, I thought the problem is if I carry on traveling around the world with this company's name on my shirt, ultimately I'm yeah. driving people towards a website which is offering something that I don't want to recommend people do. So I, I quit that deal. I love that. I love that that your integrity rings through. And I, one of the things I'm really curious about, obviously, because you mentioned that you wanted to get into poker because you wanted to meet boys. But I also read that, you know, there were some challenges in kind of being in this male dominated space. How did you navigate that? Having sought that out for that reason, but also I guess some of the challenges that you mentioned in some interviews I've read, which sound difficult to be fair. Yeah, well, they were, but probably not as difficult as other male dominated environments. Because as I say, many of the people that I played with were sort of socially terrified as well. I think if you're <laughs> the only woman on a, you know, a trading floor at the stock exchange. Yeah. You get an awful, I, mean, I don't know, because I've never been in those places, but my understanding is from other women's stories, there's huge amounts of aggressive sort of sexism and, you know, everything from a hand up the skirt, to, you know, God knows what. In poker, most of the time, you know, it's like these people are frightened of spiders and you have to say to them, well, the spider is just as terrified of you 
<laughs> I would walk into a card room and it would be all men and they yeah. would shoot back to what's what what's she what does she want why is she here has she been sent by my wife what oh an awful lot of, obviously there was sexism but not of a kind that really troubled me there were yeah I was always fine with that stuff over the table about mm. you know say women are terrible at poker and they can't bluff and this and that mm. you know fine poker is a game of deceit it's better that people underestimate you because you can exploit that for financial gain oh yeah oh, you sound like my favorite kind of villain <laughs> financial gain oh I knew we we're gonna have a great conversation because like it's just so cool I love that I love that you kind of owned it and you're able to kind of navigate that space despite those challenges and I'm gonna keep that in mind every time they're just as scared <laughs> thinking about men in spaces that maybe are male-dominated as, as kind of spiders <laughs> you know let's be honest even everybody knows that if you're in a situation where you know it's at night and it's a strange place and you know they can be a funny lot men when they get together and there might always be a wrong mm. but broadly I felt if I was in a casino environment yeah I could hold my own with conversational sexism and then it was the odd thing I mean not to go into it but the odd physical thing I mean I think there's, there's oh, barely a woman alive who hasn't had an experience of you know there's something an invasion of her physical space that she'd rather wasn't happening and it's yeah. a bit frightening. and there was some of that but broadly speaking compared to other male dominated worlds I think mm. poker was not that bad because everyone was so obsessed by the game you know that's that's where their minds mostly were yeah yeah but still terrible to, to hear about physical invasion I don't think anyone ever wants that but I'm so glad that most of your career you felt like you could navigate that space well enough but let's talk about like only connect I was watching it the other like I was watching it on BBC two the other night and I was like I think there's a funny joke you make oh I was just like doing crossword while you were solving that problem and I was like I wanted to ask you did you mean that do you is that a joke or were you secretly doing your own puzzles while they're solving it are you <laughs> no. like that super savant genius like I didn't know if you were joking or not. I was like, I need to find out. I was joking. that. I mean, I think probably regular viewers of Only Connect will know my MO is. You never really know if I'm joking or not. All my jokes are (laughs) private jokes. I mean, there's no studio audience. I love it. I just make these jokes directly to the camera. The contestants, I mean, sometimes they laugh, but usually they're concentrating so hard on the quiz they're not really listening and the crew's busy and there's no audience. So I'm just talking into absolute silence. And it, I mean, it's a bit, it's a bit marmitey. You know, you get lots of people on the internet saying, "What? Why does she? What's she blathering on about? What's she? I hate it. I can't watch. I have to fast forward through those moments." And other people just get the deeper joke. The people I think of as my people, yeah, they get the deeper joke that I find the concept of a TV quiz slightly ridiculous. I love it, but it's ridiculous, and all the trappings that go along with it you know there's got to be some introductory remarks and some yeah. little summary of the people that are on the quiz and some closing remarks and it's also daft I tend to do it in a slightly exaggerated daft way because I think our viewers are very clever and they know that and if I was ah, just so you're kind of like um, it's a joke in a joke kind of thing so I there no I was not actually simultaneously doing a crossword I sometimes do other things I mean sometimes you'll hear a contestant say something like, are they anagrams? And if they're not anagrams, I'll, you know, use my pen and paper to try and work out what they'd be if they were anagrams. And then I don't notice when they've got the answer. But they're, they're very understanding about that. <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh my God, like she's got to be a super genius. Like, because you do all of the most intellectually exciting 
stimulating really robust things right and do you ever well it's a question I ask a lot of people like do you ever feel like nervous apprehensive or do you just have like a particular method I know everyone has like a motto they use or something that they use to help them do things like what's your way of getting around like the challenges of doing things that are like really you do really quite big things and really like intellectually scary things well but those aren't the things I'm scared of you see people are scared Ah. of things I'm not frightened of an intellectual challenge I mean well you can only fail you know I don't I don't have low self-esteem intellectually I think I'm quite bright I'm probably not as bright as some people think I am but I'm bright enough that that's not an area of self-doubt so I don't really mind the Mm. people on an objective cleverer than me if I don't understand something I'm not embarrassed that's not where my worries are I I mean to this day socially you know walking into a party where I don't know people or even if I do know people I find that terrifying I worry hugely about you know, am I dressed right? Do I look right? I come away from almost every social encounter gripped with self-loathing and regret. I mean, it doesn't matter. It could be hello to another parent at the school gate. I just go, oh, why did I say that? Why didn't I say that? What, oh, all of that, those sorts of encounters I find terrifying. Somebody saying, you know, here's a spelling test against the clock. That that doesn't hold fear for me. You know, I liked exams at school. For some people, yeah. that of anxiety dreams and terrors not me <laughs> that was that was comfortable that was everybody had to be quiet so I couldn't say the wrong thing oh I see that makes lots of sense do you know what that makes lots of sense because you know when I look at the things you've done the things that kind of like in the moment kind of live audience eight out of ten cats things that you have to be opinionated like funny witty like on the ball like that's clearly like your wheelhouse like that's just easy for you but then it's all the other stuff so it's about I guess you've leaned into the things that you're great at that's brilliant so one of the things I like to do on this series is ask people to share like three wisdoms that they would want to share with everyone that they think that would help them that they've learned in their journey so far. What would be the things that you would share? Three wisdoms. Oh my goodness. Three wisdoms. I mean, I'm not huge on giving advice because that suggests that I know what I'm talking about, which I don't really. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> That's a tricky one on this. But I mean, I would say if they, with poker advice, people ask me for that a lot. And with poker my advice would be there's a lot less bluffing in the game than you'd think from TV. So you're better off having the best hand Mm. and don't play for sums of money that are too affordable or not affordable enough. So if you play poker for money, you can't afford, you're frightened and you won't play properly. And if you play for money, you don't care about, you won't care enough and you won't play properly. So play for Mm. the right money and with the right people and don't bluff as much as you think you ought to. In real life, I mean, if I was great at knowing how to navigate real life, I wouldn't play so much poker. But I suppose it's somewhere in the conversation we've had intellectually, I understand, or I have to assume most people are terrified. Not all. Some people bizarrely have just huge amounts of self-confidence and social confidence. They think what they're doing is right. And I never understand those people. Most (laughs) people think are plagued with terror and self-doubt yeah. and they're not really thinking about what you're doing and mm. the best you can do is sort of smile and be nice and ask about other people's problems because they're not really focused on yours but even insofar as I give that advice is like diving I can tell somebody how to dive into a swimming pool but I can't do it so you have to take your own advice as well in this scenario so everyone's scared too yes um, I'm a long way into life without having managed to take that advice but I tell myself that 
Everyone's oh, I don't know. I think you must be winning to some degree. You've got a life that works for you, you know, you've been on only for eight years, you have all these amazing columns, like people love you. So you you know, you've done life well, I think. And that's one of the key things I really love when I speak to people who are like eclectic and kind of different, is that when they built a life that they're thriving in, like and I love to see people like living in that way. It's such a good right representation of knowing that even if you are you do like well for me I'm autistic so I, I do have like special interests that are very specific you'll find your way to like thrive in a world that's a little bit different well that's why you always have to believe in what you're doing because other people won't necessarily especially in the world of the internet I mean I probably get it more than most because I'm on tv but everybody you you get this sort of criticism of people they come in and they want to tell you what's wrong with you in the the rudest way and that's always going to happen you know, yeah. you can't assume that people will respect who you are or what you do or what you stand for. So you have to, you know, if you write something, what matters is that you believe it's good and that your mm. conscience is clear and you all think you're doing the right thing because chances are other people won't. So it's no good, you know, it's no good judging yourself in the court of public opinion. Oh, I love that. That's got to be the third wisdom as well. Like, don't judge yourself in the in the court of public opinion. Play for the right sums. I guess the risk has got to be right. Can't be too little that you don't care. Can't be too big that you kind of like frozen. And you've got to remember, everyone's scared too. We're just trying to figure it out. Oh, that yeah. sounds like some empowering and freeing ways of thinking. It's brilliant. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so glad we got to do this conversation. It's been so brilliant. No, it's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? Like if you had one thought or do you want to, or is your audible kind I of think that's great. I think you, you did a brilliant job of having a half hour conversation. You seem to cover a lot and, you know, reach a neat conclusion. I think that's great. Thank you. Uh, do you want to talk about your memoir? Because I know that you said you were audiobooking for Richer for Poorer. When is it oh, coming not out? Really. No, well, it was just came out last week. I mean, oh, it's, perfect. So everyone can see it now. Amazing. Yes, I, if 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 you if you want to hear more of my droning voice talking about poker, there's a lot, it's a, it's unaudible with the I'm memoir. Um, I'm I'm gonna go check it out. I'm looking forward to that, and it's not droning at all. And I love an audible when I go for my little five five k walks in the morning. So that will be lovely. Thank you. Not at all.